Baseball is back, and so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. Hey, everybody. We made it. It is finally freaking Friday. Welcome into Home at Home. Kirk Cousins nearly perfect. The NBA can't put this China controversy to bed, and they can thank the Vice President of the United States for that. Charles Barkley serving him a warm glass of shut the well. You probably know the rest. We'll tell you what Sir Charles said. Welcome into Home and Home, radio.com sports original. We are brought to you by Zip Recruiter, the smartest way to hire. Try Zip Recruiter right now. It's ziprecruiter.com slash enter. A lot to get to on this Friday, including the fan who started the whole baby shark thing at Nationals Park Game 3 of the World Series tonight in D.C. He's going to join us full shark suit and all. That's why we recommend you watch on the radio.com app that is free, not just listen. Also, Bob Nightingale breaks down the Houston Astros' chances and why the loose atmosphere is so befitting this Nats team. Pete Thamel joins us on College Football and Pro Football Doc. You know him as Dr. David Chow. Tells us if, if Patrick Mahomes should play this weekend. And what about Drew Brees as well? What are the consequences of both those quarterbacks test their significant injuries? It is a Bloody Mary Friday. I'm Dave Briggs in New York City today. Ross Tucker also on the road on a home-and-home Friday, getting ready for a West Point broadcast this weekend. It is what Ross Tucker calls a two-flush Friday. It's what I call Bloody Mary Friday. How you doing, sir? I'm doing very well, Dave. I'm excited. My uh, my mom actually brought my mom up with me to West Point. She's uh, She's an Army brat. And we're going to get a tour of campus later today after the production meetings, which uh, will be very emotional for her because when you grew up your whole life on Army bases with young men in uniforms and just everything, you know, she's never been here. So she's fired up about that. I'm curious. You're in New York City. You just got off the air for CNN. How did you make a Bloody Mary? And why is it in a coffee cup, a to-go coffee cup? And how did you make a Bloody Mary at CNN Studios in New York City? How does that happen? This, this is the deep and probing questions you only get here on Home and Home. <laughs> so let me break that down for you first. For all you novices with the Bloody Mary, you can't just mix one up and serve it to a friend or drink it yourself. The best way to do a Bloody Mary is to always, and I do this 100 out of 100 times, I make it the night before because it's got to marinate a little bit. It's got to take hold of all the flavors. So I go spicy tomato juice, I go Worcestershire, I go fresh horseradish, salt, pepper, lemon, lime, all of that, but you've got to let it sit overnight because it really takes on all those flavors. The marinating of the Bloody Mary is the key. So I make it the night before, I put it in a little jug, and then I got here this morning and realized I don't have like a clear, proper Bloody Mary pint glass that I could do the Cajun rim on. 
This here coffee cup, for those of you watching on the radio.com app, is the closest thing I can find. But, Ross, I got to tell you, mm-hmm. it tastes just as good out of a coffee cup, my friend. I absolutely love it. Are we going to see mom on Home and Home today? I think she needs to make her first appearance. No, I don't think so. She's she's out of the hotel room. She's downstairs in the lobby uh, or eating breakfast or reading a book or whatever. Yeah. She, she, she's, getting, she's getting out of my hair so I can do the show. But she did say she would be watching the show on her phone on the radio.com app. So okay. that's kind of that's kind of interesting, right? That she's in the same hotel I'm in and she's watching the show I'm doing from this hotel room downstairs in the lobby. Kind of awesome. So, yeah, man, it's a uh, it's a football Friday. It's a bloody Mary Friday. I'm with you on uh, the marinating, by the way. Although I think it's weird that you like Bloody Marys that much, but you don't like tomato juice. Like, mm. anytime I've ever had a Bloody Mary, the tomato juice part of it is just so strong that it's not my favorite. I, I don't enjoy it. I am surprised mm. that there are a lot of people, evidently a lot of people, Dave, like you, that they don't like tomato juice, but they like Bloody Marys. Yeah, Ross, my first Bloody Mary was the day after my 21st birthday. And... I lost track because back then was the ritual of trying to do, and I don't recommend this. Any of you out there, if you're not 21 or if you're taking a friend down soon, I don't recommend this. But the ritual was when I was in college in the University of Colorado, try to do 21 shots. Someone would buy you each shot and you'd get an initial next to the shot. You'd write down what you had, and then the person that bought it would initial it. I cleared the 21 mark. I don't know where I ended up, somewhere in the 24, 25 range, which is a horrible and awful idea, one I should not be repeating here on the airwaves. But the next day, my dad shows up to take me to, to lunch or breakfast, whatever it was, and he gives me a Bloody Mary, and I, hadn't, I, I threw up. And I didn't have one for like 10 years because I was traumatized by that experience. So it took me like 10 years to get back on the horse and, and now I truly appreciate them. Did you have a similar 21 experience? See, I love, see, by the way, this show's awesome. I love this show and I'm glad people love yeah. it as much as we do. And please spread the word about it to everybody you know. So my dad actually came to Princeton in March, March 2nd, 2000, and, no, March 2nd, 2000, when I turned 21 and he didn't do all 21 shots, but he did several with me. He came with me and went out with me and my friends that night. Yeah. Um, and I did all 21 shots at least. Um, and I know Dave is a parent and so am I. And Dave just issued a big disclaimer. And I'm sure that's what you're supposed to say. I, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that. Okay. I'm going to say, that 21 shots might not be the smartest idea. And so don't try this at home, so to speak. But it is kind of a rite of passage. There are shots you can take that aren't that strong, right? There are shots, I don't remember what they're all called, but they're, you know, there are shots that aren't really that strong. 
you don't need to be taking hard liquor the whole time. You can have some of the more fruitier shots, if you sure, will. Sure, sure. And I, I can't, what are they called? Kamikazes, right? I can't even remember. I barely do shots anymore. I'm, I'm out of the shot business. But when you're 21, having 21 shots is something that is a rite of passage. Um, and I did it. My dad did it with me. At, not, not all 21. But what I remember from that, Dave, is first of all, the key is to not drink anything else. And to be hydrating in between with water in between. Don't try to drink other stuff while you're in the 21 shots. You're on a mission that night if you are doing it. What I remember about that night is, uh, well, first of all, not much after after we left the bar <laughs> and went to uh, went to Cottage, my eating club. But then I think my dad crashed on the couch. I think, Dave, it was the only flight for a business meeting that my dad missed in his whole career. He had to fly somewhere for a business sales meeting. He worked for R.M. Palmer, which was a chocolate Easter bunny company, believe it or not, in Reading, Pennsylvania, West Reading to be specific. And he missed his flight for his sales call. I can't remember if it was to Arkansas for Walmart or whatever it is. But my dad had too many of the 21 shots, and it's the only time he <laughs> ever missed a flight. Pretty, pretty unbelievable. So we are going to get into sports, including the NFL, the XFL, the NBA. But I gotta, I gotta stay on this topic just a little while longer because I remember two shots all night, and one was the worst, easily the worst, and still must be the worst. Do you know what that is? The cement mixer. The, oh, for, for America, oh, the cement oh. mixer, for those of you that have not had it, is, I believe, Bailey's and lime juice. And what happens with the cement mixer is it curdles. It's like a, it, it, it like almost solidifies in the shot glass, in your mouth, and kind of feels like drinking throw up. The other one that I remember being particularly wretched was tequila and Tabasco, but I don't remember what they called it. Um, those were the two worst, especially when they're back to back, which may have done me in for the night. What was the worst you've had? Yeah. So, uh, the worst shot I've ever had is also a cement mixer. And I don't think I had any that night when I turned 21. I think that night was a bunch of, uh, kamikazes probably like Soko and lime. Maybe they weren't like, I mean, there were some that were really bad. Yeah. But there weren't that many, like, really bad shots. Uh, but I do remember, Dave, the summer before I turned 21, right. I went to visit my sister in D.C., where she lived. She's four years older than me. So I was 20, and I went with my best friend who was uh, a football player, James Madison. So we're both, like, 20 with fake IDs, and I don't know, which, by the way, I also recommend – that's also a rite of passage. Dave will, Dave will give you the big CNN disclaimer. <laughs> you should never possess a false identification card. I don't necessarily agree. Uh, so I had a fake ID. I'm in D.C. out with my sister and some of her friends. And I am, I am, this is an amazing story, actually. I am, you know, 295 pounds. He's 280 pounds. We go out with my sister's friends. And one of her friends, they buy us a couple shots. We're excited. We're awesome. 
And then one of these guys bought us cement mixers. And Dave, I almost snapped his neck. I almost, I almost put his head through the wall. I was not happy. I, you know, he thought I'll show these 20 year old punks, college football players think they're great. I'll show them. But when you're 20, you got a lot of testosterone, especially if you're a football player. Especially you. And when some, when some preppy dude gives you a shot, you go like this and it solidifies in your mouth and is all gross. Oh, Uh. Oh, so I got something to tell me. you about that night. I got something to tell you about that yeah. night, Dave. Okay. <laughs> this is unbelievable. So, so, so this is the truth. I slept yeah. in the bed with my sister. You know, she had a king size bed. So I slept on one side. She slept on the other side. My buddy okay. slept on the couch downstairs. All right. Uh, I'm nervous. So, so, so that night, um, I drank so much that I may have urinated in the bed, in my sister's bed. I may have pissed the bed, okay? But here's what's great about it. Here's what's great about it. A couple weeks later, I'm talking with my buddy, and and I'm like, dude, that was a crazy night. I'm like, I pissed the bed. He's like, you did? I said, yeah. He's like, Oh, because I pissed the shit out of your sister's couch, and I was horrified. And I found I found her blow dryer, and I was up for two hours blow drying the seat cushions on the couch. And then I flipped it over to the other side. He never said anything. I never told my sister. Oh. Nobody knows that that was a piss infected seat cushion. He just used the blow dryer on it. Then we flipped it to he flipped it to the other side, but he didn't he was too scared to tell me. He never told anybody. But then two weeks later, when I told him I pissed my sister's bed, he told me he pissed my sister's couch. Poppy's she she was getting buying sloppy. That. She was just running that place, thankfully. <laughs> Poppy's getting sloppy for you, Seinfeld fans. Poppy peed Seinfeld's couch and just walked right out. Jerry had to get had to get rid of the couch and you're forcing me to do this Ross and I don't want to do it but but you just did it so I got to come clean and I've never told this story even in private <laughs> I don't know if I can do it I don't <laughs> please don't send this out on social yeah, media now. go yeah, all right all right so we're sharing 21st urinating stories <laughs> and I too had an accident that night And I very clearly actually recall this moment. Remember thinking I was in the bathroom. I was not. I was in the family room, peeing in the corner. (laughs) Just just standing up, letting it go in the family room of my apartment in the corner, and later tried to clean it up with oven cleaner. I will (laughs) never. Oh, God. That happened done that i've never done that like if i ever get up to pee i can go find the toilet but i have had i don't know three to ten pissing the bed instances in my career three to ten times where i pissed the bed i have buddies i have buddies that pissing the bed was just called friday (laughs) (laughs) it wasn't a bloody mary friday it was 
It was a 75% chance I'm going to piss the bed Friday. I mean, that, that, I had buddies that, that, that like, that was their, they, they, they had a strong propensity to do that. That reminds me, by the way, one time, yeah. um, uh, we were, I was at the Penn State for a weekend with my buddy. And this freshman, it, he was in, I was in his fraternity house. This freshman, um, like, had had too much to drink and was sitting there, like, asleep. He had kind of passed out. And so we had heard that if you put his hand in warm water, it'll, like, that makes you pee. So we're all in the room having a yeah. good time. Like, we're talking, whatever. We get warm water. We put his hand in the warm water. And nothing happens. And we're like, okay. And we're talking. Like, 15 minutes later, somebody goes, oh, my God, he's doing it. He's doing it. And he had <laughs> jeans on. All of a sudden, you just see his jeans getting soaked oh. everywhere. And he's happy as can be asleep. So I guess that trick does work. <laughs> you know what this has to do with sports? And I just realized it because I'm thinking about 21 and I'm thinking, I, I think he's 21 somewhere around today. Juan Soto is 21 today. His experience is going to be slightly better, slightly cleaner than Ross Tucker's or mine. Juan Soto, the Washington Nationals 20-year-old superstar, is now 21. Today is his 21st birthday. He celebrates with Game 3 of the World Series, first World Series in D.C. since 1933, and he is the leader of that team, at least in terms of his on-field performance. That is the ultimate 21st birthday story. And we'll get to baseball in a minute, but let's do a little sports. And, and, and we probably would have started straight out of the gate with the NFL, but I thought this was a really boring Thursday night game. I was excited for it because I've really enjoyed Kirk Cousins, the Minnesota Vikings, the way this offense has opened up, the way that Mike Zimmer has begun to trust his quarterback to stretch the field and to let him be him. Now, Kirk Cousins was absolutely brilliant last night in a 19-9 win over the miserable Washington Redskins. Minnesota improves to 6-2. and two. Cousins was 23 of 26. Three misses, so the 88.5% completion percentage, best of his career, and the only three incompletions, two throwaways and one drop. Now, these weren't extremely high degree of difficulty throws. There was one, I think I recall, early in the third quarter, stretching the field to Stephon Diggs, who, by the way, broke a record belonging to Randy Moss most games in a three-game stretch in Vikings history. You touch anything that Randy Moss did for the first time in Vikings history, you are tearing it up. Good thing they didn't trade Stefan Diggs. But am I alone, man? I thought that game was boring as all hell. I was dozing off. I want to see Mike Zimmer open up that offense. And maybe you don't have to when you have Dalvin Cook, who goes for 170 total yards and a touchdown, but they are going to have to because the schedule gets tough. They're at Kansas City and at Dallas in the next two weeks. Is that type of boring slog game plan going to be enough for this offense when they get some tougher opponents? Well, so first of all, you have to understand, defensive coaches like Mike Zimmer, they love boring. They love it. Yeah. They, they love like his dream game is nineteen and nine. Like that, that, that he loved ah. everything about that. I would also say, without Adam Thielen, 
that they're probably not as dynamic. And really, the issue and the reason why it wasn't higher scoring was their red zone issues. They only scored one touchdown the whole game, only one touchdown when they got in the red zone. Credit the Redskins defense for not giving up. The Redskins defense for fighting. But I don't think I've ever seen this before, Dave. And maybe one of the millennials can look it up. But they didn't punt the ball once. And they scored 19 points. That's correct. Like, that's That's really hard to do. I mean, four field goals, a touchdown. Diggs had the fumble. But it was a pretty efficient night for the Vikings outside of their red zone woes. You said it. I mean, Cousins only had three incompletions, uh, close to 300 yards. Stephon Diggs, like, if you're the Redskins, who do you think they're going to throw to? I mean, Thielen didn't play. Of course they're going to throw it to Stephon Diggs. So a little bit surprising, frankly, that they didn't have better coverage on Stephon Diggs. And by the way, he's an amazing route runner. Like, he made Fabian Moreau – he, made, he makes NFL guys look like they're junior college guys. I mean, he really makes guys look bad. He is silky smooth and very fun to watch. They ran the ball pretty effectively. Certainly Madison at the end of the game to run the game out. And uh, I think Dalvin Cook was almost best utilized in the passing game with some of the screens. He's a special player. That jumped out to me as well. Uh, But that was kind of a a dream game for Mike Zimmer. I'll say this, too, and and maybe you're going to get to it, but I think we're starting to see, Dave, why Dwayne Haskins wasn't playing, isn't playing. I mean, he's a tough watch. And it's kind of crazy to see guys like Devlin Hodges and Gardner Minshew and these other guys look so much better than Dwayne. I mean, he he is a tough watch. Yeah, he's brutal. I mean, this is this is why I think uh, over in Denver you're not seeing Drew Locke because John always come out and said, ah, oh, he's not ready. He's not ready because clearly Dwayne Haskins is not ready. He had an interception. He had three completions, three of five, an interception, and two sacks. Now, why was he replacing Case Keenum? Because Keenum gets a concussion in the protocol. Keenum was actually pretty decent, pretty efficient at least, 12 of 16, but the word workmanlike is what you're seeing in the Minnesota press about that effort by the Vikings last night. Yeah, it's an efficient, it's a workmanlike game. They're just going to have to do more. They're going to have to open it up. They can't rely on that screen pass entirely. To Ross's point, one of four in the red zone. Let's hear from Kirk Cousins and Mike Zimmer. I'll just start by saying, uh, you know, it was a great team win. Uh, um, You know, every week is different. And we got the ball with eight and a half minutes left, whatever it was. And we said, hey, let's let's put together a drive here, running the football. And we did it. Um, you know, would have loved to have been better in the red zone. I think we had, uh, you know, a couple penalties there that, that made it hard on us uh, to get touchdowns. And you know, there were probably a couple plays I'd like back in the red zone. Um, you know, a couple plays here or there. But, but for the most part, I think we played the game that was called and did a great job converting some long third downs. Um, you know, defense made a tremendous play on the interception to, to get us out of a hole when we didn't get it on that fourth down. And, um, you know, I think good teams can win a variety of ways. I think we've been doing that the last few weeks and, um, you know, continue to just be impressed with the way we've run the ball. I think that's going to be important for us as we look to the second half of the season. Um, so just 
you know, continue to be pleased with, uh, with our team, our offense, our, our plan, and, um, you know, we just got to keep going from here. I thought he handled it well. Uh, you know, we talked during the week, and, uh, you know, you always have a little extra motivation when you're playing your old team. Um, you know, you're always trying to prove uh, that they were wrong for letting you go or whatever the reason was. And uh, so I, I thought he handled it really well. Um, you know, he's playing outstanding right now. Uh, he's been on a nice roll for the last four ball games, and uh, we're hoping it, it continues to uh, stay that way. Okay, there's your head coach. There's your quarterback. And I, I, I would reiterate what you said. I, I, the running game is not just good with Dalvin Cook. I believe Alexander Madison could start for a lot of football teams across this league, at least in, in small doses. This guy looks really electric. Uh, Dalvin Cook, a bit of a throwback, although a better receiver, to the guy that was on the other sideline. And let's just stand back and appreciate Adrian Peterson for a moment. Off the field issues aside, what he has meant to the game, his 11,000 yards, they love him there. Huge applause. He gets 76 yards. Adrian Peterson now sixth all-time in NFL career rushing yards. 13,701. He passes Jerome Bettis. Ladanian Tomlinson, Peterson will soon be a member of the Hall of Fame. Boy, has he been a dominant presence over the last 10-plus years in the NFL. Uh, last word on this. Is Minnesota now in that conversation to you, Ross? Let's call it five or six teams that you think actually has a shot uh, to go to the Super Bowl in the NFC. Yes. And, and by the way, that was well said, Dave, about Adrian Peterson. Uh, you know, even like his first carry, it's unbelievable what he is still able to do at his age. You know, as a guy that played seven years and retired when I was 29, I guess, uh, to see a guy at that position with the number of touches that he's had, the number of carries, where, like, I, I can't emphasize this enough. Every time they give him that ball, okay, that oblong object, 11 trained assassins are trying to kill him. I mean, that, that's the reality. 11 guys that are trained to hit people and knock them down are trying to kill the guy with the ball. And Adrian Peterson has gotten so many carries. so many. I mean, I'm, I'm beginning to think at times that his body is bionic because it's unbelievable. Even with a bad ankle, he hurt his ankle on Sunday. And then he plays like this on a Thursday and plays pretty effectively. It's very, very impressive. As for teams in the NFC, I can picture going to the Super Bowl right now. Certainly Niners, Saints, Packers. Absolutely, I think the Vikings could go on a run. I could see the Seahawks. That might be it for right now. Those might be the five. Although, and I know we'll get on to this at some point, the Michael Bennett trade, if he's actually happy and if he actually plays like Michael Bennett's capable of playing, could give the Cowboys uh, an absolute boost that they needed. They weren't getting the production from the D-line that they needed, so they hired Michael Bennett. It's a seventh-round pick, which can turn in to a sixth-round pick. Speaking of the Cowboys hiring Michael Bennett, I don't really like coffee. But if I did, I would get it from <laughs> Cafe Altura. Dylan Miskowitz. You know why? Not because I like organic coffee, but because Dylan Miskowitz knows what's up when it comes to ZipRecruiter. 
He posted his job on ZipRecruiter and was impressed by how quickly he had great candidates apply. He also used ZipRecruiter's candidate rating feature to filter his applicants so he could focus on the most relevant ones. That's how Dylan found his new director of coffee in just a few days. With results like that, it's really no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. The XFL is trying different ways to hire players by not paying them so much money, and it's not working out entirely. The first player who's committed to the XFL, by the way, that season begins one week after the NFL. We've heard some reports about salary in the XFL, and the earlier report was guys would make about $55,000 to play in this league, again, that begins one week after Super Bowl Sunday. Well, it turns out 55000 uh, might be twice what a lot of guys will make in the XFL. That's not going to do it for Corey Vereen. He was drafted by the Los Angeles Wildcats, who's Vereen, a former Tennessee Volunteers defensive end had a cup of coffee, I believe, with the New England Patriots. I don't know that he stepped on the field, but definitely with the practice squad at some point. So Vereen signed up for the job, was all in, and then realized, boy, there is no money to be had in the XFL. Determined that a lot of the players, in fact, will be making $27,000 a season. How do you make the 55 grand? For that, you have to be active in every game, all 10 games, and your team, there's a team qualifier here, has to be at least five and five. So at least a 500 football team. So Corey Vereen said, well, quite frankly, I'm actually making more money than that. As a software developer, I'm going to have to pass on the XFL after all. Ross, if, if your career, let's just say you're an old ass man now, but towards the end of your career, uh, would you have considered keeping that dream alive for $40,000, $45,000 and put your body through that type of beating to take one more shot at the XFL? No, I, I would not have at that point. Um, it's it's funny, you know, my career ended on an injury. Um, and I think I probably told just before, Dave, but when the doctor said, hey, like, you're 28, you went to Princeton, I, I recommend, you know, you go get a real job. There was a tremendous sense of relief for me because I would have probably tried to play football forever. And I don't know what I would have made. I don't know what decision I would have made. I don't think, though, I would have played in the XFL because I remember I was out of the league for part of the 2006 season. I had some arena teams call me, and I just wasn't interested in playing for that amount of money. But, Dave, even arena now, they get some good players. And I think that those guys make like $200 a game. So what I think is interesting as it relates to the XFL it's it's a it's actually a pretty intriguing in my mind social experiment to see how low guys are willing to go 
to continue to play football and to get paid to play football and to keep the dream alive of playing in the NFL. And frankly, Dave, as the XFL tries to make this a sustainable business, tries to make this a, a legitimate business model, they probably have to find out what that number is. I mean, they, they probably have to find out what guys are willing to play. Certainly at $55,000, I think you'd get a bunch of guys to play. You know, you're really only talking about, what is it, five months? You know, January through May, maybe six months. So you have to understand it's not a full year-round commitment you're making. It's more of a five- or six-month commitment, I believe. And certainly the quarterbacks like Matt McGloin, I think, are pretty clearly making more money. But I think we're about to find out, Dave. And I think if you're the XFL, you you know, for a lot of these guys who are trying to get back in the NFL, they want to keep the dream alive. I think for six months work, let's just say it's six months work. I think they will play for 40, 45, 50, 55. Now, I don't, you know, you go mm, below 30, wow. I don't know. But honestly, I think more guys will do it than you think. I mean, any guy playing arena would do it in a heartbeat. I can't sure. remember how much the AAF guys were making, but I think they were making, what, 80? I, I just think a decent amount of guys will do it. Yeah, this is different because you are going to be on national television. I mean, these games are going to be on Fox Sports. Joel Klatt's going to be up there calling games. So you're going to get attention. You're going to get eyeballs. You're probably going to get scouts. Look, I mean, it's easy for me to say, but $50,000 to put your brain on the line sounds like an awful small amount of money. Now, this is only one player. Corey Vereen's only one player, and he had a job as a software developer. How many other guys would take time off from another decent job? Their employer would let them take a couple of months. I'm not sure. Will this open up, uh, you know, turn the faucet on in terms of players bailing from the XFL? It's not entirely clear. And I don't blame Vince McMahon, the founder of the WWE and now XFL. Look, as a businessman, you want to pay as little as you as you can. I mean, that's that's the way you do business. You want to cover minimum wage, do what you have to by labor laws. You're, you're not in business to pay guys as much as you can. I have just always thought this league's going to be a dumpster fire. One, I think people have their fill of football, especially come the Super Bowl. I think they need a little vacation. I think they're going to be done. Yeah, we'll hear a little bit of buzz in the early couple of weeks about how it's so exciting. It will die down. I am curious what type of... Uh, health care, what type of health insurance these players have. That's been the huge knock on WWE. Wrestlers who do make an awful lot of money do not still have health insurance. They are contract employees. I have said from day one, I think the XFL will be a dumpster fire. It will fail. Maybe it gets beyond one league. I'd be surprised. How do you see it winding up? You know, uh, you, you mean gets beyond one year? You think you think it'll be a success? Well, I think it'll be more than one year. I, I, I cannot imagine that Vince McMahon would have sold the stock he did and would have XFL 2.0 and not at least get it into that second year and see what the traction is, what they're able to do. And frankly, based on the AAF numbers, and you combine the AAF ratings, Dave, with sort of the WWE uh, flavor to it, just in the sense that Vince McMahon's involved, 
And yep. the fact that that might bring some of the wrestling crowd to at least check it out and that it's on Fox and on ESPN, I think it'll do big enough numbers that I think it will be a sustainable business if they're paying guys an average of $55,000. I, I think, you know, it's the AAF was getting better ratings than NBA regular season games, than a lot of the other programming that's on in February, March, April, and May, especially February before March Madness started. February, you know, the AAF is what people were talking about. Now, it was new, but sure. still, I, I think XFL will have sort of that that same mile. So I, I think it has a very real chance. Yeah, I really do. We are efforting uh, Vereen here. I think he's going to try to Skype with us later in the program. We want to get his perspective on, you know, how hard this decision was. Maybe we can get a Twitter poll. Do people think this league will succeed beyond one season? We are clearly divided on that. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, it has been a brutal week off the field for Major League Baseball. Yes, it's been a pretty entertaining World Series, at least if you're a Nationals fan. But the games have been entertaining. No one's been watching, and two very bad stories off the field. One might have gotten worse just when the Houston Astros thought they had it solved. That story after after a quick break. The Houston Rockets finally got to concentrate on basketball on Thursday night. Or did they? Yes, Harden, Westbrook did share the court last night. They argued, but really all the attention remains on that NBA China issue because of the vice president of the United States. We'll get to that in just a bit, but we start with the Houston Astros game three of the World Series. The Astros trailing two games to zip in the fall classic. They go to Washington, D.C. tonight. We mentioned tonight Juan Soto's 21st birthday. He celebrates game three of the World Series in his home park. First World Series game in D.C. since 1933. A lot of negative going on in baseball. We'll get to in just a sec. But it's nice to start emphasizing the positive. And Juan Soto and the Nationals have been that, Ross. Yeah, man. And here's the thing I think is interesting about Soto that I wanted to, to dive into on his 21st birthday. Number one, Juan, if you're watching... Dave and I gave you excellent advice earlier in the show. For those of you that just tuned in, radio.com slash home or the radio.com app searching home, you can always go back, watch, or listen to any parts of the show on demand. Remember, we're less than five minutes commercials per hour. So Juan, we gave you tremendous advice for your 21st <laughs> birthday. But I'll tell you what I think is interesting, Dave. You know how like baseball – Baseball is such a skill-driven sport. And so often, guys need to be in the minors for two, three, four, five, six years before they really fine-tune their skills, their eye, their uh, everything, you know, their hand, being able to hit different pitches, and if, everything. I am blown away by guys that at 20 years old, now 21, are able to do what like Juan Soto does because most guys it feels like they got to wait till they're in their mid 20s and they played a few years of college ball 
Then they played a few years in the minors, or they went right out of high school into the minors and played mm-hmm. three, four, five years, worked their way up. Guys like Soto that are that precocious at that age. I remember Ken Griffey Jr. when we were younger, Dave. I, I'm just in awe of those guys because it just doesn't seem like they need the seasoning that you would think baseball players need. I mean, they have all these minor leagues and the system and the farm system. They have all that for a reason because you really need that in baseball because it it takes a lot of reps. It takes a lot of everything. For a guy like that to be that good, that young, is just crazy. It is, and, and in particular, when you watch Juan Soto – For those of you that are not watching, and most of America is apparently not watching, because not only was Game 1 the second lowest rated Game 1 in Major League history, Game 2 was one of the lowest also, the lowest in fact, lowest on record Game 2 in terms of the television ratings. What you're missing is Juan Soto, and is the joy of the game and the incredible enthusiasm and talent of this kid. The lefty goes in the box. And he stares down future Hall of Famers and looks at them like he is going to murder them. And quite often he does. He's reached base six times in two games in this Major League Baseball World Series. This guy is hungry. He, he believes every pitch is like a mano e mano battle between me and you. And I don't care if you are a Hall of Famer. Please, I, I recommend that you watch a moment of tonight's game, not just for Soto, the talent, the enthusiasm, but the unbridled joy this Nationals team brings to the game. They've got dance parties in the dugouts. They got baby shark going on uh, in the crowd, and not just when Gerardo Parra walks up to his uh, walk-up music. It is a joyful team to watch. Now, off the field, it has not been a real joyful week for Major League Baseball, and they thought... They got a handle on it yesterday when the assistant GM of the Houston Astros, Taubman, was fired. Brandon Taubman, as you all know by now, was exuberant and screaming at a couple female reporters who had tweeted about uh, domestic abuse. He was essentially taunting them after the Astros advanced the World Series, ironically after Roberto Ozuna had a bad game and after he blew a save. Screaming in the direction of female reporters, Ozuna suspended 75 games for domestic abuse before the Houston Astros signed him. So despicable as that act was by Brandon Taubman was, well, then the Astros blasted the Sports Illustrated reporter Stephanie Epstein for reporting that story. Blew her. I just just crushed her in the media. Discredited her. Well, now they've figured out Brandon Taubman was lying to them. They have fired the 34-year-old assistant general manager. And they thought they're good, man. They thought they got a handle on this situation. They took care of Taubman. And they could move on to game three of the World Series. Here's the general manager, Jeff Lunau. This is not something that's endemic. This is not a cultural issue. Um, we have a lot of really good people in our front office, in our you know, in our coaching staff, on our team, and and that's really much more representative of of who we are than than comments of an individual who, quite frankly, this is out of character for that individual as well. Uh, at the beginning, even if it was an organizational statement, there was nobody's name on it. There were a lot of people involved in reviewing it, looking at it, approving it, and it, it was on behalf of the Astros. But 
regardless of who wrote it and who approved it. It was wrong, it was incorrect, it should never have been sent out. We've learned a lesson about it. Um, we had a, a sense of what had happened that was different than what we found out pretty immediately afterwards. Um, but we wanted to wait and, and make further statements that were correct and not sort of react again to new information because, quite frankly, not all the information that was received uh, at the beginning, even in the middle, even at the end, is consistent with the other information. So there are some uh, varying uh, degrees of... Okay, that's the uh, general manager of the Houston Astros. Sorry for the mic issues there, Jeff Lunau, thinking he had put this to rest. He has not because everything I'm hearing, everything everyone our industry is hearing is that this was more indicative of the culture with the Houston Astros. Brandon Taubman was perhaps the face of the problem, which is an old white boy, boys club type of chauvinist culture. This may have been, as I talked about earlier in the week with the NFL, this may have been taking off the bath fitter and exposing the rot and the mold that was underneath the Houston Astros. Brandon Tobbins fired. But you know who was in that crowd right there? Stephanie Epstein, Sports Illustrated writer that broke this story. Jeff Lunau could have apologized to her. He did not. They also did not fire the person that went after Epstein and tried to discredit her and, quite frankly, in this industry, could have ruined her career. Are you satisfied, Russ? I am clearly not. Yeah, so I will say this, Dave. I am not big on what I feel like at times in our society is I, I don't know I don't know the best way to describe it other than you know we all get fixated on an issue and we mm -hmm. all want our you know flesh if you will we all want somebody to be fired and our pound of flesh and then we move on to the next one and I think Brandon Taubman deserved to be fired. I am not, though, big on saying everybody at Lunau should be fired, the PR guys should be fired. I do think that they have screwed this up. I do think that they should be subject to further criticism and scrutiny. But at times, I don't want to... I don't want to be the person that's constantly jumping on uh, what I feel like at times is is the bandwagon of the social media mob. In other words, Dave, I feel like uh, Lunau messed up and I feel like the Astros messed up. But the real issue here was Taubman. That is what is most serious to me. Now, if they fire whoever was responsible for the statement and discrediting uh, the writer, I'm okay with it. I'm not, I'm not like defending that person. Um, and if they fire even people above that, I'm okay with that as well. But I guess I would say I am satisfied. I am satisfied that Taubin got fired and that there is egg on the entire Astros organization's face. Everyone knows that it's run by a bunch of clowns in terms of how they handle matters like this. Uh, what the owner ends up doing, what they end up doing, that's up to them. But I, I would say I am satisfied. And it's really up to that organization whether or not they want to keep people that, especially on the public relations part of it and the statement part of it, are clearly inept at their job. 
Like it almost, Dave, shouldn't be me or you saying whether or not we're satisfied. If you're the Astros, how do you keep that person? Like that was their big moment for their job and they were terrible. Although ultimately, and you can give me your opinion on this, don't yeah. you think that that statement was just what the GM or whoever told them to write? I can't imagine that the person in PR can be that incompetent to have been like, yes, this is a good idea. This is what we should go with. I wonder, I guess, a little bit, Dave, if that person was just sort of following orders, if you will. Okay. Now I was critical of Jeff Lunau, but let me just be clear. I think Jeff Lunau's job is to run the baseball operations side of thing. I don't think he should be uh, the guy responsible for PR disasters. He should keep his job. His job is to get to the World Series, and he's done that twice in three seasons. But he should have apologized for the culture oh, yeah. surrounding this club, and that PR person or some PR person should lose their job, and it's very easy to sit there and apologize to Stephanie Epstein, she's sitting in your face. She's sitting right in front of you in that press, concert, press conference. I'm certain he was aware of her presence in the room. Look, ultimately, the story is not yet done because there are a lot of people wanting to apply pressure here. Christine Brennan writes in the USA Today uh, that that Major League Baseball needs to act, that they need to do something beyond what the Houston Astros have done firing Brandon Tobin. We will ask Bob Nightingale about that, uh, Radio.com Baseball Insider, as well as USA Today Sports, who works alongside Christine Brennan. Should Major League Baseball act? I just think it would have been easy to apologize for your culture, to apologize to Stephanie Epstein of Sports Illustrated, and to that publication entirely, and to promise to change the culture. Yeah. Another off-the-field story, though, uh, popped up this week, and it was regarding that umpire. I don't know if you guys heard about this one. Rob Drake, an umpire, had tweeted that he was going to buy an AR-15 rifle, an assault rifle, and there was going to be a civil war if Donald Trump was impeached this way. Well, this situation at least seemed to have been handled better. He deleted the tweet. He personally apologized to everyone that his words, quote, made feel less safe, especially want to apologize to every person who has been affected by gun violence in our country. I also acknowledge and apologize for the controversy this has brought to Major League Baseball. I actually have to, in this case, applaud the fact that in our pitchfork culture that you just referenced here, uh, Ross Tucker, that everyone is always so angry and so tribal. I actually have to applaud both sides here for just allowing the situation to calm down, allowing him to delete the tweet, apologize, keep his job, and to move on. Do you feel like that was the right uh, resolution there? Yeah, I, I guess it, to me, and, and by the way, let me just say, totally agree with you on the apology from Lunau to Stephanie Epstein. Like that, that's a no-brainer. And and uh, have you apologized to her yet? No, I haven't had the time. She's literally sitting no. right there, bro. That's when you look at her and say, from me and the entire organization, we apologize. I, some people just don't have great people skills. Some people just don't. That doesn't come naturally for them. Yeah. As for Drake, the umpire, not the rapper, um, or not the musical artist, uh, I have a tough time getting past anything other than him spelling Civil War wrong. <laughs> I think that that should be a concern. I mean, should like, would you want someone in your organization that didn't know how to spell Civil War? 
Matt, I know he can call balls and strikes, but that would concern me a little bit. I also think the gun thing, man, that is dicey. Uh, now, if he hadn't said anything about the gun and just was fervent in his support of President Trump, that's his right. It's his private social media. He wants to get into politics on it. But you go gun, boy, that is that is really bad in my mind, given what's going on in our society. Again, though, I'm not big on the pitchfork society. These people need to be fired. Honestly, I'm sure he's incredibly embarrassed. And now every time he goes to a stadium, people are at a ballpark, he's going to be reminded of it. I, I, I think it's fine. I think I, I like the apology, and I think now he just has to live with the consequences of it, both people knowing how fervently he believes on the political side and the gun part of it. Hard for me to knock his spelling too hard, given the commander-in-chief, the president of the United States. You may or may not follow him on Twitter, but spelling errors are, let's just say, par for the course for the POTUS each and every day. So I'm going to let the Major League Baseball umpire get away with this one. We're going to take a quick break here. When we come back, jam-packed 9 o'clock hour. The man who wears a full shark body suit to the world series tonight game three in washington dc also a fascinating day and night in the nba the vice president now mike pence weighing in on the nike and nba controversy and charles barkley with some pointed words to the vp we also saw the houston rockets duo of harden and westbrook but they're no match for Giannis. Giannis was dominant. We'll get into all that after a quick break. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Hey, 